focusing on things I couldn't control. And that's where we get distracted and the negative, you know, snowball starts working. And this was something I never did in the past. I was always very good at keeping my own head, focusing on my own lane and focusing on my own strategy. But the pressure got to me and the fact that I was the number one and I had won four years earlier and made the team. I felt like I was the person to beat, whereas before I was the hungry one. Welcome to Champions Mojo, a podcast to bring out your inner champion. Your hosts are sisters-in-law, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds national and world records in master swimming. Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and won the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. Both are certified health and life coaches. Our goal is to inspire you through conversations with champions. And now your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And as usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hi, Kelly. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Wonderful. Well, Maria, we have a real treat in store for our listeners today. If they want to get the scoop on a new technology that is taking the swimming world by storm, that's the one-of-a-kind form swim goggles. And to get this scoop, we're going to talk with a champion, a two-time Canadian Olympic swimmer, and the director of strategic partnerships for form swim goggles, Scott Dickens. But Maria, before we talk with Scott, can you share with our friends a little bit more about Form Goggles and Scott himself? Sure, Kelly. Uh, first, Scott was a breaststroker for Canada, making their 2004 and 2012 Olympic teams. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about his mindset and making two Olympic teams, but eight years apart. And even as a non-swimmer, I'm fascinated by these goggles they have a smart display, and they've been highly rated by such media outlets as Wired, USA Today, Triathlete, and Men's Health. So let's get to it. Scott, welcome to Champions Mojo. Thanks so much for having me. Well, yeah, Scott, thank you for joining us, and uh, we're so glad to have you here. And as you know, here on our podcast, we talk with a lot of the top swimmers and coaches and thought leaders of our sport, and they all seem to agree that in general, swimming is way behind technologically compared to other sports. And I don't know if that's the water factor, you know, water and computer hardware don't mix, or if it's just old school thought patterns. But, but from what I can tell, uh, the form swim goggles is like something from the future, the Jetsons. And I'm really excited about this product. So right off the bat, can you just explain to our listeners about these smart goggles and how they work and the benefits and uh, how they came to life. Thank you so much. Yeah, really great to introduce the goggles and kind of tell the story of how they work and why they can help uh, swimmers as well as coaches enhance the quality of their training. So we built these goggles with the mindset that we wanted to deliver something directly to the swimmer to enable them to get more qualitative training. There's a heads up display within the goggles so that you can see various metrics while you swim, such as your stroke rate, your stroke counts, your distance per stroke, uh, your split times, your total times. You can even count your calories, you can count your laps for the everyday swimmer, as well as integrating in now live heart rate with our partnership with Polar. So while you're swimming, you can actually see visibly your heart rate fluctuate in real time. And this is really a step forward in the right direction for the sport of swimming because in the past, you're really limited to getting your heart rate when you come to the wall, as well as other metrics when you stop, look at the clock, listen for your stroke rates, and other metrics from your coach. So we want to enable the swimmer in real time so that they can be more self-aware, train themselves, as well as give more time back to the coach so they can focus on the swimmer's technique and not have to worry about their stopwatches as much. That's cool. Is it, are they yeah. hard to use? Do you have to be smart and techie? No, they're really simple. Um, the nice thing about the goggles is that we wanted to make them a slim, simplistic user experience. So with our combination of the app as well as the goggles, you pair it to your you pair the goggles to your app and your phone, and then you set up the dashboards as well. So the dashboards are what you see while you swim. 
And you can customize that so that you see what is relevant to you. So if stroke rate is relevant and time, you can simplify it to see only that. So we have the ability for our users to make set their goals according to what their practice is or what their coach is looking for. And everything else is fully automated. You turn the goggles on, you select your pool size, and from there, you hit start, and the goggles do the rest. You don't have to press any buttons like a watch when you come uh, to the end of a pool uh, length. You don't have to keep pressing start and stop as you finish intervals. Everything is automated. It knows when you're swimming. It knows when you're resting. And much more importantly, it knows what stroke type you're doing. And we record all that. And once you finish your workout, you save it and that will sync to your phone. And then you can review that in depth and see everything down to every single length. So it'll know what your intervals are, know your sets, and then with your coach, you can analyze and see where you might have any gaps in your training to enhance the quality strategic aspect of the sport. That is really a, a huge feature that you don't have to start and stop it because, you know, I've, I've played with a few different little in-water tools, you know, things to use in the water, and it really is great that you can hone it down to have multiple features or a singular. So let's say someone just wanted to do their heart rate. Could they do that? Uh, so there's within the goggles, the user experience uh, goes essentially, there's a heads up display and we use waveguide technology. So while it's in the goggle, the image appears as if it's about 10 meters away from you while you're swimming. So it's not obstructive and you can see right through it. And there's two lines. The top time, top line will always be your cumulative time and it will show your splits when you come to the wall. The top, top bottom line is customizable. So you could set that to your heart rate. You could set that to see your pace, your stroke rate, stroke count, but you choose the metrics that are associated with your training goals. Very nice. Is there just one metric on the second line or can you put several? Uh, we've, we did a lot of rounds of testing where we, we started with four and then we went to three and then we finished with two because the mind can only absorb so much before, before it gets distracting. And we wanted these to be an aid, uh, and something that did not overwhelm the experience because at the end of the day, you're still swimming through the length and you're probably going to be in a pool with other people. So if there's too much, too many metrics, then it's overwhelming and distracting. So two is really the sweet spot. That's really great. That's cool. Um, yeah, that yeah that's, that's about all I think I can handle. Uh, so could someone use these in competition or are they illegal? Um, they're not um, built for competition. They're built uh, as a piece of training equipment. Uh, within the sport of swimming, you, can, you won't be legally allowed to wear them in competition, but in the triathlon space, you can. That makes sense. Yeah. So in, in, a, in a triathlon, you could definitely, yeah, that makes sense. And so I, I know prior to recording, you told us a story of someone that had been diagnosed with a heart condition, and this came in really handy for them. Can you relay that story again for us? Absolutely. So we were uh, working with a local uh, master's program as well as uh, triathlon club, and we were there one of the mornings doing some testing with some various users. And one of the individuals already had a pair of goggles set up with the Polar OH1 heart rate monitor paired with goggles. And he came up to us after and he said, you know, these goggles have been such a game changer for me because like you said, he was diagnosed with a heart condition and he has to make sure that his heart rate does not get over a certain level so that, well, for health reasons, nothing bad happens to him. So with the heart rate integration, he's able to see exactly what his heart rate is while he swims and keep it below that threshold that his doctor prescribed. And he was really worried about this before he got the goggles because swimming has been a part of his life uh, forever. And he was worried that he wouldn't be able to, you know, continue to go to his master's group, interact with his friends. And now with the goggles, he can continue to enjoy swimming, but do it in a very structured and qualitative way. And that is so great that we're giving that to this individual, but it also translates into the competitive environment where, now we can train at specific heart rate zones as well as actual specific heart rate down to the number. So, for instance, 155, 157, whatever it might be, you see that number in real time. Yes, I know. I've 
you know, like you, I've been in many practices where the coach says, oh, okay, keep your heart rate in the uh, above 160. And you're like, okay, whatever that is, <laughs> you know, you just try to go hard. So. <laughs> exactly. It's all based on feel. And a lot of the time you're either below that or way above it. So having the ability to know that is a real big game changer. And to me, when I first tried swimming with our goggles with integrated heart rate, it was a very big learning experience because when I pushed harder in practice, I always thought my heart rate went up. And let's say you're doing a set of like 10, 100, best average. And by the last few, you, your arms and legs, they're burning, they're gassing for air and they you know, want relief. They want a warm down session, but you have to keep going. When I was doing a set like this with the goggles, my heart rate actually started to come down versus going up when I tried harder because muscular fatigue kicked in more than my cardiovascular fatigue. And this was a huge aha moment for me because I always thought it was the reverse. And knowing this really helps me understand that, wow, I probably need to work on my, you know, strength and conditioning on my arms and my legs. And, you know, that is something I wish I had when I was swimming. So I could have communicated that more effectively to my coach. That's great. I can see how that would help people. And especially as swimming is one of those sports you can do forever. You know, people with heart conditions are going to be more likely to be using uh, swimming as their exercise. So I love the fact that they can that they can know their heart rate. And I was curious, I bet it's pretty accurate where it measures it there on your temple. Is it, How is that compared to? It's a great spot. You have a lot of main arteries uh, in your head, especially on your temple. So with the partnership of Polar, we created a essentially a cradle that threads onto the strap of the goggles. And you put that on the same side as our essentially modular on the goggles. And that will sit right on the temple and Bluetooth the heart rate signal from the Polar OH1 heart rate monitor directly to our goggles so that the swimmer sees that in real time. That's cool. Yes, I remember the old school days where you'd have to strap something under your, you know, under your chest, under your breast, under your bathing suit. And it was a soggy, wet thing and, you know, worked half the time. So that is really cool that it's just right on your temple in your goggles. And so I just read a story about, so Mark Spitz, who was recently diagnosed with AFib, uh, you know, which is atrial fibrillation, where your heart rate will either go super fast or super slow. And he is swimming three days a week. So, you know, obviously someone like him or master swimmers are going to have to watch their heart rate. And I, I have preventricular contractions myself. I'll have, you know, I'll skip beats. I'll have double beats. I'll have weird things. I, you know, I went and did a whole cardiovascular work up and they said, Oh, you're fine. Go ahead and swim as hard as you want. But it's scary. Like I don't, when I get those double beats or skipped beats, it is very scary. So I, I am going to be excited to try these goggles and just, it's just going to be nice to be able to keep an eye on my heart rate. So yeah, I agree. And it's a huge leap forward. Yeah. When I first tried it, I, since I retired swimming, I'd still kept up with swimming uh, quite a bit because it's one of those things that I feel is, is soothing and getting the water, the sound of it. You know, I just love the sport still. But when I first tried the heart rate, I had that one moment where I realized uh, more muscular fatigue was kicking in. But two, a lot of the time I wasn't trying hard enough because I didn't have anyone to mo push me, motivate me. So the goggles act as that like motivator as well. We realized wow, I'm probably not swimming as hard as I probably can right now because no one is prescribing me a set to push me that hard. So it was kind of that self-motivator as well. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, hmm, I'm just floating yeah. along here at, at 110 when I probably should be yeah. at 145 <laughs> or something. Yeah, Exactly. Well, yeah. I, I, I often have to throw on my fins to get the heart rate going into the zone I want. Oh, yeah. I love fins. <laughs> well, speaking of your swimming, I am really interested in your story about your Olympic time. And I think it's so amazing that you are on two teams, but that there was a team there in the middle that you weren't on. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, that's a, uh, I already have goosebumps thinking about the story and the, the how that 
time, uh, that eight years essentially framed and changed my life. Um, in 2004, I made the Olympic team as a 19-year-old. And as any 19-year-old uh, thinks, with young success means I'm just going to get better and better and better. And, you know, as you get older, it gets harder to do best times. And, you know, I got injured, came back, got injured again. And by 2007, I had got my, you know, my way back to a Pan American gold medal in Rio in 2007 and well under the Olympic standard for Canada. And I was the top ranked hunter breaststroker in the country. So I was feeling very confident. And then going into the 2008 uh, year for Beijing, I did what many swimmers probably do, which is focused on quantity versus quality. And that was a big learning experience for me where a coach would prescribe workout and, you know, there's so many swimmers out there. I'm guilty of sin. I want you to do eight times 50 holding this time and this stroke count for this specific reason. It's like, I can go a second faster than that. And why don't I just do that? I'm just going to do that. And it's like, that's not what we're working on. So I really, um, I ended up just focusing on trying harder and doing more when we know, and it's proven that focusing on quality and listening to coach and communication can really take you a lot further. And when I got to the Olympic trials, um, I did a lot. What also holds a lot of swimmers back is that I stopped focusing on myself and what my execution and my strategy was, and I got distracted by my competitors. So I was looking at my competitors and saying, Oh, what are they doing for the warm up? Oh, they're stretching now. Should I be stretching? Should I get in the water now? They're getting in the water. Should I get in the water now? And then mm-hmm. focusing on things I couldn't control. And that's where we get distracted and the negative, you know, snowball starts working. And this was something I never did in the past. I was always very good at keeping my own head, focusing on my own lane and focusing on my own strategy. But the pressure got to me and the fact that I was the number one and I had won four years earlier and made the team. I felt like I was the person to beat, whereas before I was the hungry one. And I let that all get to my head, even though I was half a second faster than everyone. So going into the final, I was seated first and I went under the Olympic standard uh, in the morning. So all I had to do was come top two. I uh, remember standing behind the blocks and saying, this will all be over soon. And you just have to come top two and you'll be on your way to Beijing. And as we probably, uh, you probably know, talking to many swimmers and coaches, when that mindset's in there, the race is already over. And uh, that's something that I just didn't, wasn't able to control in the moment. And I dove in, one thing happened and another thing happened and I panicked. And I started trying harder and not focusing on, my strategy, my rhythm, my stroke length. And I just started spinning my wheels. And I noticed by the time I got to the 50, I wasn't, you know, in the spot I wanted to be in the race. And again, I came up out of the turn and just started trying harder and thinking about my competitors. Oh, the guy beside me is going to have a great back half. He's a 200 rush stroker. And then when I got to the wall, I did things that I don't even practice. Instead of just standing and using my height and reaching and, doing a fast touch. I tried to fit in one more last stroke, looked up at the clock and uh, I finished fourth. There was four oh. of us that essentially touched at within a 10th of each other. And I was on the back end of that. So I had that moment realization that was like, what just happened? And how did I let myself do that? It like, and I, it was like, everything hit at once what was I thinking about? Why was I thinking that? Why did I act that way? Why was I focusing on my competitors? And I did a lot of things I'm not proud of after that race. I didn't talk to my coach. I didn't warm down. I went out the back door of the pool. I didn't speak to my family. I it just, I had that like ashamed feeling and I went back to my room and I sat there and, you know, I eventually fell asleep after wallowing in my own sorrows. And I woke up and I was like, Oh, thank God. That was a dream that was like the, my biggest nightmare. And I looked at my phone and I'm like, Oh, it's, it's not a dream that actually happened. And then for about an hour, I was just like feeling sorry for myself. And I said, okay, like you're better than this. You have the 200 still, it's not your best event, but you still are going in second and it's, you can, you can do this. So I went to the pool, went straight to my coach and I said, sorry about last night. Um, 
but I can't change what ha- happened. And let's forget about it and move on. Let's focus on the 200. So I warmed down, I got a massage, I ate, and the next day I raced the 200. Did what I had to do to get in the final. So I conserved my energy and I had a great 200. I was leading at the 50, leading at the 100, leading at the 150. And then since I'm not a 200 breaststroker, that you know piano dropped on the back of my back and it was like someone slowed me down was like "Mm, not so much today scott and one stroke (laughs) then another stroke and then i saw everyone pass me and i finished fifth but i looked at the clock i knew when i finished the race i didn't make the olympic team but i didn't feel ashamed i felt i did everything in my power to make that team in that race and i was proud of how i was able to focus on my own strategy keep my head and not let others distract me but then the whole realization kicked in the next day that, you know, my Beijing hopes were finished and that was something I didn't really want to accept. And I had teammates coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm only 23. What are you going to do now? Like thinking, Scott, you're going to retire from swimming. You're going to stop swimming because you didn't make the team. And I'm, these are like my close teammates and that really hurt. And to top it off, I uh, was working with a school in my hometown in Ancaster, Ontario and they were supporting me by, you know, raising, selling Gatorade on Tuesdays and doing hot dog Fridays to like help like raise money for my training. And I was scheduled to go talk to them the week after the Olympic trials to say like, this is what it, it is taken to get me to this uh, next Olympics and talk about my goals and how you set goals in life. And I didn't make it. So we were essentially doing a pep rally, uh, like a rally for myself going to Beijing, but there was no Beijing. So this pre, um, the pre, school uh, president uh, emailed me and asked me, uh, we kind of know what happened. Uh, are you still going to come? And I was like, oh, my God, I have to go talk to these kids, a thousand kids from kindergarten to grade eight. How am I going to do this? And it took me like two days to reply. And I replied back to the school with the email subject, never give up. And I told myself, these kids look up to me. and you know, someone at a young age, if someone said, you know, you're going to fail, but it's how you get, how you stand back up and learn from those mistakes. I would have learned a lot from it. So I want to showcase to these children, these students that it's okay to fail, but it's how you choose to move on and how you choose to learn from that. That's going to make you the person that you're going to be. So I told them that I'm never going to give up my goals and I knew it was going to be hard. And so a week later, I show up at this school and I'm standing in the hallway and I'm pacing, just nervous as can be, feeling like I'm going to throw up. Just, I don't want to face these kids because I feel like a failure. And I see my picture all over the walls. And then, you know, the school president walks up and goes, kids are all ready for you in the gymnasium. I'm like, okay, thanks. I really don't want to do this, but they'll be ready. I'm like, perfect. So I start walking down the hallway. Uh, feeling like a giant in this like small school where I'm six, five and these little tiny lockers everywhere. And as they get close to the gymnasium, I start hearing this louder, you know, roar and screaming. I'm like, great kids are like out of hand, not in control. They're not going to listen to me. And then it just gets louder and louder. I'm like, is there a fire? What's going on? And I walk in the gym and there's a thousand kids on their feet screaming my name uh, go scott go go canada go and there's a banner at the side back side of the gym the whole length of the gymnasium with three words on it and those words were never give up and every single student and teacher signed the banner and i immediately just broke down and that moment i knew that i wasn't done something i knew a fire had just lit in my stomach and something great was going to happen over the next four years and I didn't know how it was going to happen in my strategy but I knew I had something to accomplish and I told those kids you just changed my life and I'm going to show you physically mentally what it is like to never give up and I promise you I'm going to come back here in four years and we're going to have a celebration of what it means to never give up and I'm going to show you that I'm going to go to London and I did just that I came back after the 2012 trials, having made the 100 and the 200, and we had a new celebration, saying another new banner, never give up, and all the students that had graduated were invited back, and it was just a great 
way to round out that story and show them that you're going to fail, but it's what you learn. You're going to fall down. You might not get the grade, you might not make the team, but these are moments that are going to shape you and you're going to learn from them. And you're always going to wake up the next day and life will go on and it's okay. And I've lived by that never give up mentality since then. I went on to have a great Olympics. I first Canadian to break a minute in the 100 meter brushstroke long course. And I finaled in the relay. And funny enough, that relay final was on my birthday for my 28th birthday. So it was a great way to kind of finish off a career and leave the sport loving it and knowing that I did everything I could. That is wow. an incredible story. That is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful story. So those kids really were part of that inspiration. It wasn't just something you came – obviously you came up with that phrase, but they they helped you live up to it, didn't they? Yeah, they, they took that and essentially not used it against me, but showed me how much they believed in me. And that's something to really think about as role models in our sport is that we might feel that we have failed or we're not doing as well as we wanted to. But at the end of the day, these kids or young swimmers or young athletes or students, they look up to Olympians and older swimmers and they see someone that they want to be, whether that you feel like you accomplished your goal or not, they look at you as someone that is successful and that to me was something that really resonated with me that I am a role model and I want to continue to be that role model for summer students for the rest of the time. Yeah, I I actually started crying when I could envision those kids cheering for you. Did you start off your speech to them with tears? Oh, I couldn't. I could barely speak. I, uh, I It took me about two minutes to come to and uh, be able to get my first word though it just that's how it meant so much to me when you feel like a failure and you feel that you've let down uh your team your coach your you know your loved ones and an entire school and to have that support and to see these many this that many kids wearing all you know decked out in Canada gear and cheering your name you just it's something that if you if you didn't break down, there's got to be something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was breaking down just listening to it. Well, that is a beautiful beautiful story. So, Scott, obviously that was a big huge obstacle in your life, if not the biggest. What was and if that was it? So, how did you press forward? Like, what what was your lesson out of that? Uh, my lesson was I need to go back to the basics. And I, after the, you know, I, I finished the nationals in the summer of 2008, I, I decided to, you know, I needed to take a break. I knew I was going to keep swimming, but I need to like give myself a mental break and kind of refine my, my love and my passion for the sport. So I went on like a backpacking trip in Europe for five weeks with my now uh, wife, um, and we just kind of forgot about everything. She's a swimmer as well. And we both missed the team. And we just kind of went to all these different European cities, had a good time, but, you know, kept up our fitness. And by the end of it, when I was coming back, I realized that I'm excited to get back in the water because I hadn't been in a pool in five weeks, which is the longest stretch I ever took. And my goal was to simply do what I did when I started swimming when I was six years old. I love to do it because I love it and have fun because at the end of the day, like it's a sport. We shouldn't take it that seriously. We should focus on having fun, but doing our best. And I just made it that simple. I mapped out my goals, but the number one thing was if I don't love it, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Great. Great. That is beautiful. Well, Scott, you're obviously you've succeeded in, in your swimming career and and now it looks to me like you're succeeding as a business person what 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 do you think that that swimming taught you about success in life that you've been able to take to your post-swimming career there's so many things that i've taken away from this amazing sport and they really have shaped the individual i am as a, you know, a father a husband as well as an employee um, Time management 
you know, you have to be very dedicated when you're a swimmer as well. And when you're a university student, you know, my parents always told me that swimming was a privilege and education came first. So the grades weren't good enough. Essentially, when I was growing up, no swimming for me. So I was always that mindset I had to do well in school because at the end of the day, something's going to stop at some point and you're going to have to, you know, have a job. So I really took the skills I, I got from something such as goal setting, time management, determination, communication is such a big one. Knowing how to communicate directly with your coach and doing it in a professional manner, not blowing up, not sulking, not arguing, but communicating. And that has really translated a lot into my success outside. But always, I would say, uh, one of the things that we do as athletes that we maybe not even aware of what we're doing is that it's our ability to be hungry and want more. So outside the when you stop swimming, you might not realize that you have these inherent skills, but you have to tap into them almost in a different way. You're putting these skills into almost, it's like you have the ingredients and you're used to making pizza, but now you're taking those same ingredients and making a new dish. So if it's time management, how are you going to use that? If it's communication, how are you going to use that? If it is your ability to want to be a continuous learner and always challenge yourself, which we did in the pool all the time, how are you going to challenge yourself in the workforce? How are you going to, you know, further better yourself? So I've taken, you know, financial planning courses. I am doing my MBA right now. I started challenging myself in ways outside the pool, such as doing grand fondos on road biking. And now I'm signed up for my first half marathon this year uh, in May. So I'm always looking for a new challenge, looking at how I can take the skills I developed and, and implement them in new ways. I love that. I love that looking at those skills and saying yeah, the, the analogy about making pizza and then turning it into something else is, is fabulous. I've never heard that. I love it, Scott. Yeah, that is that is beautiful. So, Scott, what commonalities do you think that champions share? Uh, that's a great question. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that, you know, champions share is they make others better as they are not as focused on themselves, but they're, whether it's a, in a swimmer, they're always, there's that better, bigger picture, which is your team, your, your working environment. And I believe the biggest champions that we've seen, uh, whether it's in the sport of swimming, basketball, uh, they're always focused on making those around them better. And how can they do that? Because when you make someone else better, you're making yourself better. That is a great answer. Yeah, great. Yeah, I love the old uh, rising tide raises all ships. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's a really good answer. Do you have any routines or rituals that you do on a daily or weekly basis that you think have made you the success that you are? So one of the things that I do, um, it's more that something I've done since I've stopped swimming, is uh, uh, for work, I always focus on, like, setting my my daily goal so it's looking at my to-dos for the day taking my things that I have still on my bucket list to uh, take care of but adding to that and crossing them off as they go so I always have a, essentially my schedule in check the other thing is um, my routine I, I try and stay in a routine that I did when I was swimming because it's what I know and it's what makes me comfortable and it what allows me to stay like I would say mentally stable. Uh, so I, I still I still work out Monday to Saturday and take Sunday off. And I try and while it's only an hour a day, I still try and exercise an hour a day during those days so that I find that mental balance and I get that endorphin rush because that's one thing as a swimmer and as a competitive person that I am I'm not gonna lie heavily addicted to. So I am always looking to get that challenge in on those days. And some days I don't get a full hour, but even if it's just a half hour, I know that I'm going to be better for it. It's going to make me a better employee. It's going to make me a better husband and a better father. That's great. Yes. Maria and I are always big, big proponents of exercise. I think that, it, you know, if there was only one routine that successful people have, I think it's got to be exercise that they share. Like all I, li yeah. I like how you point out that it's for your mental health, because that's how I think of it, too. The story that I tell myself is that if I don't exercise, I'll feel I'll feel bad emotionally. Yeah. And that's a big thing for me. It, uh, 
I, I have suffered uh, from depression in the past and uh, it's a way for me to continuously stay ahead of that. And, you know, like for instance, if I get sick, um, the hardest thing is like knowing that my body needs rest and, you know, even like two days off, I start to feel like different and it's hard to get back into that routine because you kind of get into that, like, ah, I don't need to work out. But then that mm-hmm. first one is the hardest and then you finish it and you feel fantastic and you're, you're excited about doing it again and again and again. The days off to me right now are actually the harder days. When I was swimming, I love those days off because your body just inherently wants it, but you're also trading 30 plus hours a week and <laughs> versus six hours in a week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Maria, you want to ask our standard mm-hmm. last question? Uh, sure. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to, to talk about, Scott? That's a, that's a big open-ended question. I would say <laughs> I encourage you know everyone to, if they're interested in trying out our new product, to give it a go. Uh, we're really, what we're trying to do is enhance the quality aspect of the sport of swimming by implementing in engaging swimmers in real time so that they can get the metrics and information that can help them move to that next level. Again, technology isn't for everyone, but at the same time, it's not going anywhere and it's only going to be implemented in more areas in our lives uh, as we move forward. Uh, But we see these as a great way to move the sport forward. And I'm really excited to be a part of the journey at Form and see where we can go with it. And yeah, it's just nice to be connected in a sport still that has given me so much. That's really yeah, cool. I, I, yeah, I'm really excited. In fact, my form goggles I've heard are on the way to me, and I can't wait to try them. <laughs> so I will let our listeners know. So those were the hard questions. Now we have a round of what we call uh, the sprinter round. You ready for some one-word answers, Scott? Lightning round. Let's do it. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Cat or dog? Dog. Red or blue? Blue. Milk, chocolate or dark chocolate? Dark. Kickboard or no kickboard? No kickboard. Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. All right, Maria. (laughs) Great job. I get the last 10. We're looking for uh, super short answers. Maybe one word. Okay, what's your favorite color? Don't have one. (laughs) Changes all the time. Sometimes I'm like, I love love my blue shirts, and now I just bought a pair of plum shorts and like some burgundy (laughs) stuff. So it, it always changes. That's great. Flexibility. What's your favorite pizza topping? Prosciutto. Oh, nice. Favorite vegetable? Roasted broccoli. Okay. What is something on your pre-race playlist? So my all-time pump-up song goes back to my childhood favorite movies uh, series, which is Rocky, so Eye of the Tiger. Oh, that's great. Great. What's your shoe size? Thirteen. Any siblings? Two older brothers, and I'm the shortest in my family. Wow. Family so of giants. Six, five being the short one. Wow. What's your favorite Star Wars character? Han Solo. Hmm. Can you cook? I love cooking. And I, I can whip up a mean uh, storm. It's, uh, it's my hobby. So uh, I got all the gadgets. It's how I mentally check out. It's, uh, it's my favorite thing to do on weekends. Mm, that's wonderful. Okay. Last question. What word comes to your mind when you first dive in the water? My first dive in the water? Yeah. Your first, first dive into the water. What, what, what's, what's, what do you say to yourself? Breathing. Breathing. Very good. It's great. Good. All right. I hate well, jumping in the water. <laughs> <laughs> It's the worst part of practice. It is. It is. What do you guys keep your water temperature mainly up there in Canada? Is it is it always seventy eight Fahrenheit? Yeah, good pool is seventy eight, seventy nine. But then, like all since I'm not like at the pool I normally trained at when I was growing, like swimming at University of British Columbia, 
Uh, I'm always at these random pools now and it's either way too hot or way too cold. And, you know, I was always the last person to jump in the water. I just stood there looking at it and like, no, no, <laughs> not getting in. And because I would always just like get freezing. Even once I got warmed up, I would get cold really easily and my fingers would turn numb during workouts. So I'd always have to be continuously moving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. It's, that doesn't, it's, it sound, is a lot, that doesn't sound fun. No, a lot of swimmers agree that's the hardest part of it. Well, Scott, we really appreciate your time. We want to be respectful of it. You got, I know you got a busy, busy uh, work life there, getting form swim goggles out there into the world. And uh, we so appreciate you spending this time with us. It's been awesome. We sure do. Thanks, Scott, very much. Thank you so much for having me. And I really look forward to working with you guys more. And uh, if anyone's interested in uh, form swim goggles, feel free to reach out to me. What's the website? www.formswim.com. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, and we'll put that in the show notes too. So, wonderful. We'll have a great day, Scott. Thanks again. Thanks again. You guys have a great day as well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today... We wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five-star review. That way, more people will be able to find our podcast. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends. And now, the takeaways. So, Maria, what a great interview. I don't know about you, but I was crying during the story of the kids and the speech. It was a beautiful, beautiful story and, and, and you know, so much good stuff to take away out of the, that interview and also that story. Yes, yes. So besides, you know, we have champions on the show and uh, obviously we met Scott through him introducing this fantastic product of the form swim goggles but then when we really talked about his own path to being an olympian and being a successful businessman we got to to hear a little bit more of you know the scott dickens story and um i you know there were a lot of takeaways what was your very first one you want to start with that that beautiful sure um, i think i was incredibly moved by this, obviously the story of him coming into the auditorium, the gymnasium with the kids and, and, and the kids just supporting him and his never give up. And, and so I, I think that the takeaway from that is when we have a big setback, an obstacle, a loss, it can be very tempting to just go into your hole and you know, pull your covers over your head and, and sit there. And, you know, he'd made a commitment to this, this, this elementary school or the school and he kept it and he went out there to give a speech. And, and, and the result of that was that those kids inspired him to, to go on. So the takeaway is if you, if things are bad, do not go in your hole and cover your head, or at least don't do it for too long. <laughs> Just get out there and find some people, get into your community, find some people who can help encourage you. What about you, Kelly? Absolutely. Yes, yes, I totally agree that, you know, this was a real, uh, you know, this knocked his feet out from under him. You know, he was picked to to win, went into the final seat at first, and, and it, you know, it was kind of a, a public failure. He said he felt shame. Yeah. And it's so tempting to just hunker down and not go out and sit in your apartment or house and watch Netflix for six weeks or something. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, just getting out there and seeing that people love, people love an underdog. They love somebody who's, who's been defeated or been down and that they, they, they dust themselves off and they get back up. And I think that's mm -hmm. what those kids were seeing. And I think it truly changed the trajectory of Scott's life and his success and helped him make the 2012 team. And 
I thought it was just a very poignant, huge takeaway. So yeah, get get your community around you and get out there and let people know about your pain and you're probably going to get a lot of support. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Let people know, be vulnerable. And he was. Yeah. And, oh my and, gosh. And, yeah. and because of it, he had, I mean, those kids really, you know, when he gave that speech, he knew then he was going to have to come back. He was, you know, so they, there was a sense of accountability there too. So I, I loved how that worked out for him. Yes, yes. And my uh, my first takeaway that I thought was just huge was the reason that he felt he failed in making the team was because when he went to perform at his best, he was focused on others right. and that he was worrying about who was next to him in the lane. What were they doing? Were they warming up? Were they warming down? You know, it was like he wasn't thinking about um, himself and his own performance. And this is, if we go back to the Elizabeth Beisel interview, she said, comparison is the root of all evil. And this is so similar to what yeah. she had said in her interview. So the takeaway is when you're trying to accomplish something, just think about your own qualities and your qualifications and what you can do and not who you're competing against. So, or comparing yourself to others. Yeah, absolutely. You know, stay in your lane, you know, focus on what you know, you know, run your race. We used to have a, one of our sons ran track and he had a coach who would just always yell at him, run your race, run your race. Because it can be very distracting, I think, for any of us in life to look around. And my sister used to do this. She would she'd become interested in something and then she would go find the person who was the best at it in the world. And of course, immediately start comparing her, her, you know, her, her, her own efforts to that person. It's just, just a bad habit all the time. You know, you gotta, yes. you gotta do your own thing, run your own race, you know, keep your eye on, on what you can do and what you can manage and what you know about yourself. Yes, absolutely. How about your second one, Maria? Oh, well, I mean, I think we have to say, Never give up. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 I like, uh, it's, of course, it's, it's, it's trope. We, you know, we, 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 we talk about persistence and not giving up. But in, in his case, he had all of the, the same skills, talents, and work after that abysmal performance that he had before it. So there was no reason to stop doing what he was doing. You know, I think there are times when you should say, you know, no, let's let me move on to something else. But in this case, you know, he, he did not allow a, you know, a, a shameful, a, what he perceived as a shameful um, one meet turn him from his goal of, of becoming a, a second time Olympian. So I think that's a really good takeaway for us. We have to look at where we are, and there was nothing different about him. He had all the everything, so he said he wasn't going to give up, and then he 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 held himself accountable to do that with that speech to those kids. And I love the part where he came back to that school after he'd made the second Olympic team and was able to, to celebrate with them. So yeah. Never give up is, yeah. is, 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 it's, it's good advice. <laughs> it's it still, it's, it's still just, good advice. <laughs> it's, it's a great, it's great advice. It works all the way around kind of for anything in life. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I love it. Never give up. And as a huge fan of Jim Valvano, who was the NC state basketball coach who won the 1984 national title, you know, with the basketball team there, that was his motto when he had cancer was never give up. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's great for anybody at any time. So I love it. Yeah. Um, now my second one, which I can really apply to our podcast here, you know, trying to, we're trying to be successful in this podcast, which we are, we're, we're breaking our records every month. We're, we're really growing. We just passed our one year mark a little bit ago and it's exciting to see the growth. Uh, but this one is back to the basics. So I, he said, get back to the basics, do the things that you were really passionate about and, you know, think of your eight-year-old self. And I, I think that's, it was tempting for us. I think we discussed it at the one-year mark. Do we want to add video? Do we want to add a five-minute Monday? Do we want to do this or that? And then, you know, just, I listened to a podcast coach who said, just have great content have like focus if you focus on your content for what your podcast is 
that that is much better than adding a bunch of bells and whistles. So I think getting back to basics was a great, a great takeaway for me is just um, get your passion, love what you're doing and think about your eight-year-old self. And for me, Maria, my eight-year-old self with you is just, we're just a couple of girls sitting here talking about fun things and things that are going to help people and talking with great people about fun things. So that one really spoke to me. Yeah, I I completely agree. Uh, (laughs) And it's so true about the podcast. We we can get distracted, I think, by trying to be better, which is, of course, always good. It's, it's, it's good to be better. It's good to be technologically better. It's good to build something good and to be thinking about that. But if we're not enjoying it, if we're not, if we're not just having fun doing what it is we started out to do, which was to share our ideas and to inspire, educate, and motivate others, then forget it. You know, and, and we've, one of the things we've talked about offline many times is that we didn't used to get to talk to each other as much as we do. And this podcast has allowed us regular conversations, obviously. And and we both have just loved it. I've loved I've loved my regular interactions with you, Kelly. And it's and and so yeah, connecting, reconnecting to that the joy of well, what am I doing? I'm having a fabulous conversation uh, with my sister and friend and with these incredible people. So let's not forget that's what it's about. Yes. Yeah. That is definitely my, my back to basics. Well, those are our takeaways. We could have done more, but we encourage everybody to listen to the whole thing and there'll be a lot more that you'll get out of it. So um, Maria, thanks so much for being with me again, always on this journey. I love you so much. I love you too, Kelly. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This week's quote of the week comes to us from Scott Dickens. You're going to have failures, but it's how you learn from those mistakes and stand back up and keep going that's important. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media, and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.